Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Sarah. And I'm Toby. And this is the Whispering Woods podcast. This episode is all about... Samhain. Yes, it is. It's all about Halloween, this episode. I've got one long, really, really long introduction piece about the history of Samhain. And then I've got one story about black-eyed kids, because I thought that could work well with Halloween. Yeah. And then the extra on Thursday will also be black-eyed kids stories. Also, really self-indulgent, because I just love them. (laughs) First of all, I want to recommend a book, as it is spooky season. If you want a good book to settle down with, Craig E. Sawyer has got his debut book out. Now, Craig kindly ripped our episode on The Bell Witch. I don't know if you can remember. Um, So he wrote the introduction about The Bell Witch and then told us all about his experiences. If you haven't heard it, please do go back and have a listen. He's got his new book out, Just in Time for Spooky Season. It came out on the 24th, I think it was. So I will leave a link in the podcast notes so you can go and take a look and have a read. Fancy it. Right then, are you ready for this exceptionally, I can't even say it, exceptionally long history of Samhain introduction? Yes, I am. Samhain is a Gaelic festival that originated in ancient Ireland, Scotland and the Isle of Man. Celebrated on the evening of October the 31st, it marks the end of the harvest season and the beginning of winter. During this festival, the Gaelic people believed that the boundary between our world and the spirit realm became blurred. 
resulting in a unique and somewhat eerie atmosphere. The origins of Samhain can be traced back to the ancient Celtic festival of the dead, which had deep spiritual and religious significance. It was believed that during this time, the spirits of the deceased would return to visit their loved ones and roam the earthly realm. To honour and appease these spirits, the Gaelic people would engage in various rituals and practices. One of the key traditions associated with Samhain was the lighting of bonfires. These fires were believed to have protective powers and were used to ward off evil spirits. People would gather around these bonfires and engage in communal activities such as feasting, storytelling and divination. Samhain also has strong connections to the agricultural cycle. It was a time when livestock were brought in from the fields and surplus animals were slaughtered for winter provisions. Additionally, offerings of food and drink were left outside homes to appease and welcome the spirits. The festival of Samhain has evolved over time and has influenced modern-day Halloween celebrations. Many of the customs associated with Halloween, such as dressing up in costumes, going door-to-door for treats, and carving jack-o'-lanterns, can be traced back to the ancient practices of Samhain. Today, while Samhain is still celebrated by some modern pagan and Wiccan communities, its original significance and practices have been largely obscured. Nevertheless, its historical and cultural importance as a Gaelic festival that marked the transition from autumn to winter remains a fascinating part of our collective heritage. Samhain is included in early Irish literature, dating back to the 9th century. It holds significant importance in Irish mythology and was marked by large gatherings, feasts and the opening of burial mounds, which were considered portals to the other world. Samhain, like Beltane, was considered a liminal or threshold festival, where the boundary between the earthly realm and the other world became thinner, facilitating contact with spiritual beings known as the Yi-Shi or fairies. These beings were often seen as remnants of pagan gods and were appeased with offerings of food and drink to ensure the survival of people and livestock during the winter. It was also believed that the souls of deceased relatives would visit their homes and a place would be set up for them at the table during a meal. Mumming and guising, where people went door to door in costume, reciting verses in exchange for food, became part of the festival in the early modern era. These costumes may have served the purpose of imitating and disguising oneself from the East Shi. Divination rituals involving nuts and apples were also common during Samhain. In the late 19th century, it was suggested that Samhain was the Celtic New Year, but this claim is disputed. In the 9th century, the Western Church designated November 1st as All Saints' Day, with November 2nd being All Souls' Day. It's believed that Samhain and these Christian holidays influence each other and eventually contributed to the modern celebration of Halloween. 
many Halloween traditions in America were inherited from Irish and Scottish immigrants, and the term Samhain was used by folklorists to refer to Gaelic Halloween costumes until the 19th century. Since the later 20th century, Celtic neo-pagans and Wiccans have observed Samhain, or variations inspired by it, as a religious holiday. Indeed, Samhain customs are mentioned in several medieval texts. In Sergelich Cuckoo Lane, a tale about the legendary hero, it's stated that the festival of Yulai at Samhain lasted for a week, including the three days before and after Samhain itself. During this time, there were large gatherings where meetings were held, feasting took place, alcohol was consumed and contests were held. The Togale Brudni Dodaga, another medieval text, mentions the lighting of bonfires at Samhain and the practice of casting stones into the fires. This suggests that bonfires held a significant role in the festival. Geoffrey Keating's writings in the early 1600s, which drew on earlier medieval sources, provides further information about Samhain customs. According to Keating, the Festival of Tara was held for a week every third Samhain. During this festival, the nobles and scholars of Ireland would gather to establish and renew laws and would also partake in feasting. Keating also mentions the role of Druids in Samhain celebrations. He states that the Druids would light a sacred bonfire and offer sacrifices to gods, sometimes by burning them. Additionally, he notes that all other fires would be extinguished and then relit from this sacred bonfire. These medieval texts provide valuable insights into the customs and practices associated with Samhain during that time period. During the early modern era, bonfires were a common sight during Samhain, much like the tradition of lighting Beltane fires. These fiery rituals took place on hilltops and were prevalent in certain regions, such as the Scottish Highlands, the Isle of Man, parts of Wales and Ulster. Originally known as need fires, this custom eventually faded away. While specific types of wood were traditionally used for these bonfires, later records indicate that various flammable materials were employed. The purpose behind these fires was believed to be a form of imitative or sympathetic magic, symbolising the sun and aiding in the powers of growth, while pushing back the darkness and decay of winter. It's also thought that these bonfires symbolically eradicated harmful influences, with accounts from the 18th and 19th centuries suggesting that the fire's smoke and ashes were believed to possess protective and cleansing properties. In the 19th century, a fascinating bonfire tradition took place in Moray, where boys would go from house to house in the village, requesting fuel for the bonfire. Once the fire was lit, one by one, the young boys would lie down near the fire, careful not to get burned, allowing the smoke to roll over them. The other boys would then run through the smoke and jump over the boy lying on the ground. As the bonfire burned down, the ashes were scattered, and a friendly competition arose among the boys to see who could scatter the ashes the farthest. 
In certain regions, two bonfires were built side by side, and the locals, sometimes accompanied by their livestock, would walk between the fires as part of a cleansing ritual. It's also believed that the bones of slaughtered cattle were tossed onto the bonfires. Another intriguing practice during this time was taking flames from the bonfire back to people's homes. In parts of Scotland, during the 19th century, torches made of burning fur or turf were carried sunwise around homes and fields to provide protection. In some areas, families would extinguish their hearth fires on Samhain night and then relight them from the communal bonfire, symbolising a bond with the community. This tradition was believed to have ancient roots, with the 17th century writer Geoffrey Keating attributing it to the Druids. Dowsing the old fire and bringing in the new fire could have been a way of banishing evil, a practice commonly seen in New Year festivals across various countries. Bonfires during this time were not only for celebration, but also served as a tool for divination. In some areas, such as Okatire in the 18th century, a ring of stones was placed around the bonfire, with each stone representing a person. As everyone ran round the fire with torches, it was believed that the way the stones were arranged in the morning could predict the fate of the individuals they represented. If a stone was found to be mislaid, it was believed that the person it represented would not survive the year. Similar customs were observed in North Wales and Brittany. James Fraser suggests that this practice may have originated from the burning of actual human sacrifices, or could have always been symbolic. Divination has likely been a part of the festival since ancient times, and its practices have survived in some rural areas. At household festivities in Gaelic regions and Wales, various rituals were performed to divine the future, particularly regarding matters of death and marriage. Apples and hazelnuts played a prominent role in these divination rituals and games. Apples were associated with the other world and immortality in Celtic mythology, while hazelnuts symbolised divine wisdom. One popular game was apple bobbing, where participants would try to catch apples with their teeth from a rod hanging from the ceiling. Apples were also peeled in one long strip, and the peel was tossed over the shoulder to form the first letter of a future spouse's name. Hazelnuts were roasted near a fire, with one nut named after the person roasting it, and the other after their desired partner. If the nuts jumped away from the heat, it was seen as a negative sign, but if they roasted quietly, it indicated a good match. Divination also involved hiding items in food, such as cakes or barmbrack, and serving portions randomly. The item a person found in their portion would supposedly foretell their future, with a ring representing marriage and a coin indicating wealth. A salty oatmeal bannock was baked and eaten in three bites before going to bed in silence. It was believed that this ritual would result in a dream where the person's future spouse would offer them a drink to quench their thirst. Other divination methods included dropping egg whites into water and interpreting the shapes they formed 
to determine the number of future children. Young people would even chase crows and derive predictions from the number of birds or the direction they flew. These divination practices added an element of mysticism and anticipation to the Samhain celebrations. One intriguing custom recorded in the 17th century in the Outer Hebrides and Iona involved fishermen and their families gathering at the shore on the night of October the 31st. A man would venture into the water up to his waist, pouring out a cup of ale as an offering to the god of the sea, known as Shoni. They would ask for a bountiful catch. Although this practice was discontinued in the 1670s due to religious influences, it shifted to the springtime and persisted until the early 19th century. People were cautious not to offend the Ishi. They would stay close to home or, if they had to venture out in the darkness, they would turn their clothing inside out or carry iron or salt as protective measures. In Southern Ireland, it was customary to weave a small cross of sticks and straw called a parshell or parshall to hang over the doorway. This cross was believed to ward off ill fortune, sickness and witchcraft. Each Samhain, a new cross would be woven and put in place. Honouring the deceased was another significant aspect of Samhain. As winter marked a time of natural dying, it was viewed as the most fitting occasion. It was believed that the souls of the departed would return to their homes seeking hospitality. To welcome them, places were set at the dinner table and by the fire. This tradition of the souls of the dead returning on a specific night and the need to appease them can be traced back to ancient origins and is found in various cultures around the world. James Fraser suggests that the approach of winter drove the hungry, shivering spirits from the barren fields and leafless woodlands to seek refuge in the warmth of cottages. But it was also believed that grateful spirits could bestow blessings just as wrong souls could seek revenge. During Samhain, the tradition of mumming and guising added a unique element to the festivities. This practice was first documented in 16th century Scotland. Participants would don costumes or disguises and go from house to house, entertaining the occupants with songs or verses in exchange for food. It's believed that this custom originated from the impersonation of the East Shi, or the souls of the dead, with offerings being received on their behalf. Furthermore, dressing up as these spirits or souls was thought to provide protection against them. Some scholars suggest that the geysers personified the ancient winter spirits who demanded rewards for granting good fortune. According to another theory, the modern tradition of costumes evolved from the practice of wearing masks or costumes representing these spirits during the ancient festival. In Scotland, young men would go door to door with their faces masked, veiled, painted or blackened, often making playful threats if they were not welcomed. This was prevalent in rural Scotland during the 16th century and continued into the 20th century. The blackened faces may have originated from using ash from bonfires for protection. In the late 18th century Ireland, 
peasants would visit houses on Samhain, carrying sticks and collect food for the feast. They claimed to do so in the name of St. Con Kili, asking people to set aside the best food and contribute towards the celebration. In certain regions of Southern Ireland during the 19th century, geysers included a hobby horse called the Lair Ban, or White Mare, a man dressed in a white sheet and carrying a decorated horse skull, would lead a group of youths who blew on cow horns as they went from farm to farm. At each stop, they recited verses, some of which had pagan undertones, and the farmer was expected to provide food. By contributing, the farmer would receive blessings from the Mukgola, while neglecting to do so would invite misfortune. This bears resemblance to the Marilwide procession in Wales, which occurs during midwinter. In Welsh culture, the white horse is often seen as a symbol of death. Similar customs involving costumes, mumming and hobby horses were observed in other European festivals, but in Celtic-speaking regions they held particular significance as they were seen as appropriate to a night when supernatural beings were believed to roam and could be imitated or warded off by human participants. According to Ronald Hutton, the transition from guising to playing pranks during Samhain was quite natural. The tradition of playing pranks during this time can be traced back to 1736 in the Scottish Highlands and was also common in Ireland, earning Samhain the nickname Mischief Night in some regions. The practice of wearing costumes at Halloween and engaging in pranks also made its way to England in the 20th century. Although mumming had been part of other festivals previously, when Halloween gained popularity in North America due to Irish and Scottish immigrants, the traditions of guising and pranks were strongly associated with the holiday in Ireland and Scotland. The concept of trick-or-treating may have stemmed from the custom of going door-to-door to collect food for Samhain feasts, as well as fuel for bonfires or offerings for the East She. Another possibility is that it originated from the all-hallow-tide practice of gathering soul cakes. In some areas, turnips or mangle wurzels were hollowed out and carved with grotesque faces to serve as lanterns for geysers or pranksters. These lanterns were often placed on windowsills and were believed to represent spirits or supernatural beings or to ward off evil spirits. This tradition was prevalent in parts of Ireland and the Scottish Highlands during the 19th century and also found in Somerset, known as Punky Night. In the 20th century, jack-o'-lanterns became more widespread in Britain as the term used to describe these carved lanterns. So that's a really long and detailed introduction. What did you think of it? Yeah, spooky. Interesting as well, though, isn't it? And what about Somerset? Yeah. Hunt- I never knew that he didn't turnips, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know that Roger used to do turnips, or was it Swede? But yeah, it wasn't pumpkins. I think that did come from America, the pumpkin bit. We used to do Swedes, Swedes and um, turnips. And yeah, so interesting. I think I have mentioned this before, actually, because I remember saying that I was going to carve one. (laughs) Roger likes to do a Swede, (laughs) just to be different. 
also Ronald Hutton, um, who I mentioned, he's an expert basically on sowing. Um, and I met him a few weeks ago and I completely forgot to mes- mention this. I met him and he signed my book. Can you remember? Yeah, yeah. what? That's photo you sent me. Yeah. I went up to Bristol University, all the big buildings, like something out of Harry Potter. <laughs> and, um, we went and met him and it was great. And I'll, I'll put a, I'll put a picture on our social media. Of, of, I won't do the one of me because I look fat and ugly. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be straight about these things. I like when I see pictures of myself, I'm like, I really didn't think I looked like that, you know? Uh, uh, I thought I was just still this young, sprightly head turner. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're still young, <laughs> right? Anyway, I'll put a picture on of the book, and um, I may put, put a picture on of me reading the book in a very studious manner. <laughs> It'll be highly posh girl. <laughs> be highly posed and played with. <laughs> I meant, you know, doctored. <laughs> right, are you ready for the Black Eyed Kid story? Yes, I am. This is my third post from the same road. This time, involving my experience with black eyed children and the events leading up to that encounter. To start things off, I should mention that this was the third time that I'd actually gone to the road, and I'd read several accounts of a little girl being seen on this road. This piqued my curiosity. Due to doing some research on black-eyed children, I found out that they prefer rural areas, which this road was. So me and two of my fellow investigators, Josh and Samuel, went to the road. This was Samuel's first time, And at this point, the only really big event that had happened to us was just the week before. We got a voice over the spirit box, which was very clear, yelling out spirits Spirits. to the question, is there anything on this road? We were excited and we did a little research on the road to figure out what exactly was here. This is when we found out about the KKK activity and the witchcraft and satanic rituals being performed on the road. So once all three of us got there, we parked and started heading down the road. At this point, we'd never made it to the end of the road. Usually, we made it not even to the forest and would leave. This time, we made it into the forested part of the road and decided to turn around. So far, that night, the only weird thing that we couldn't explain was Samuel had seen what he thought was a shadow figure following us in the woods. But neither Josh nor I saw this figure. We decided to go back to the cars because Samuel was starting to freak out just a little bit. We got to the area of the road that we like to call the Spirit Box Hotspot. It's right near the beginning of the road and it's where we get our best Spirit Box sessions. I'd asked if they would be okay if we did a Spirit Box session there because that is where we had gotten the clear voice the previous week. They said yes, so I booted up the spirit box. I don't know what led me to ask the question, but I did. The question being, does anyone anyone on this this road road know of the entities entities called called black-eyed kids? We got an answer almost immediately. The answer was a simple one-word answer that I would have just ignored if it wasn't so clear. The answer was, Yep. 
in a young adult male voice that at this point we hadn't heard before. We all looked at each other with excitement and concern. Then I asked the question, are there any black-eyed children on or near this road? Again, immediately we got the answer back. Yep, two. Same young adult male voice, so we knew it wasn't interference. The fact that it was immediately after I'd asked a question led to the fact that this was not interference. At this point, Josh and Samuel were starting to freak out. I was strangely calm for some reason. As they were telling me that we needed to end the spirit box session and head back to the cars, I asked my third and final question. Are there any black-eyed children around us right now? Yeah, two. After we had got that answer, from the trees behind us, where there's no houses and it's 2am, we heard children laughing. We ended the spirit box session and we booked it back to the cars. When we could see the cars, we noticed that both Josh's and mine were fogged up from the inside. The scariest thing of all was on Josh's rear windshield. There was a handprint. The handprint was larger than any of our hands and there was no one else on the road. We'd kept careful eye to see if anybody had driven on the road or started walking on the road. It also looks like it had claws and on my rear windshield was written Leave. At this point, all three of us were freaking out. I was trying to come up with a logical explanation on why we heard children laughing and the windows being written on. As we were trying to calm each other down and figure things out, we heard a child say from the woods in front of where our cars were parked, Hello! This froze us in our tracks as we were trying to find the source of the hello. We started to notice little figures darting between the trees. I don't know what drove us to do what we did next, and I know it was stupid, but instead of getting into our cars and driving away, we ran back to the road. We didn't get too far onto the road when we heard something hit against one of our cars. It sounded as though something had jumped onto one of the cars. Without thinking, we ran back. When we got there, we saw nothing. No damages. Everything had just stopped. This time we were smart and we got back into our cars and we drove off as fast as we could to get away from that road. Now there is a little girl who is seen on the road. I know she's not a black-eyed child. From the day that I'm posting this, I have officially seen her once. What we experienced that night, I cannot explain scientifically. But I'm pretty convinced they were black-eyed children. And to this day, I still hold myself lucky to be alive. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It is the time to ghost hunt. Yeah. You've been doing your own bit, haven't you, recently? Yeah. We was, me and mate, we both had the same app on our phone. Of all of us were there. And it was saying stuff like linking each other, but it was on two different phones. Right. So it was linking each other to it, and it was saying, like, gate and that. And there was, like, nothing weird about the gate. But then my mate told me that his, his mother's, um, gate looked like he's been trying to wedge in or something. Right. And, yeah. Mm. You said it said that two of their mum's names, didn't you, as Yeah, well? it said their mum's names when we saw them right after. Mm. So the boys have actually stopped playing with it because they freaked themselves right out. Yeah, something to do with human trafficking. No. <laughs> what? Why is it you think that? Because they'll find us. What? Because I got some. Team... I I feel like it's not. I I reckon yeah. It's like it's yeah. It's a spooky app and all, but the most spooky thing about it is and that is about the people behind it. I reckon they're human traffickers and that. Right. And they'll find you and kidnap you and that. Right. But why do you think that? Because they might like get like hold of our phones. What? Because of the GPS. Yeah. I don't know. And it is just freaky. I think they're. I just don't know. We don't trust them. You've just got a really bad feeling from, from it. Yeah, we just have bad feelings about it as well. Because my mate was freaking out. He was in his room and he was like, I don't want to get kidnapped, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he delete. And then he was like, it was like, everybody was like, oh yeah, we got to go back to the to the abandoned mental asylum and then delete it. Because like, that would be like recovering it or whatever. But like, it's nothing to do with the scary stuff. It's to do with human traffickers. <laughs> We don't want to be messing with that. Well, no, you don't, and you do have to be careful online for obvious reasons. Maybe you should try my one, my ghost hunting app. Yeah, we don't have an app. You have a thingy. I've got, yeah, I've just got an app, and it, it it shows you where the ghosts are meant to be, and, and the yeah. words come out. Yeah, because they got ones as well, like where, where like the text motion and that. Yeah, and these ones don't have anything to do with human trafficking. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. All right, maybe have that one. But anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna be cleansing JB after we've completed this podcast because <laughs> he actually is quite freaked out, everybody. And on that note, I'd like to say we hope you have a splendid Samhain Halloween. Yeah, I've got to say why I think you're getting human trafficked as well because our mate was being inappropriate to the ghost, and then the ghost come through on my phone calling him summit. Um, a pervert. Yeah, perv. <laughs> now I, I will say <laughs> this is a cleaned up version of what we've actually recorded um, <laughs> but what I would just say is you don't mess with spirits you don't take the mickey yeah yeah. <laughs> well happy Halloween everyone I hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll catch up with you again soon we will indeed we will catch you on Wednesday if you're a patron and on Thursday for some more Black Eyed Kids stories Take care, everyone. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.